Hey everyone, Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white, gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? Then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. It's 1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it, while the city's best detectives are on the case. Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, a dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, it's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, can't wait for this book. You got to get on this order your copy today at indie planet a new world of comics that's www.indieplanet.com hard copies and digital copies are available and now digital copies are only five dollars that's where i said it just five dollars so make sure you order yours today all right josh um it's dedication time so beginning episode the guest has to dedicate it the episode to anything they like so what would you like to dedicate this episode to i mean i gotta dedicate this episode to robert rodriguez i mean sure right he dude has helped me with so much helped me finish this movie and it just aired this week on el rey network right his network so to be able to say I had my movie on TV that comes from Robert like the 7,000 came from Robert so Robert Rodriguez I love it I love it Uh, you do. Oh, I'm gonna, before we get started, you also have your your podcast. I'm going to give a shout out to that. You also have your own podcast. I do. I do a podcast. I, I run a Patreon. So one right. of my ways of like having some income for my company and to make my own movies and make my own cartoons and stuff yeah. like that is I run a Patreon where people can subscribe for a dollar or five dollars or sure. twenty dollars and you can be a producer on my movie. Like that's how I do it. And right. it's just a monthly thing. And I do the podcast for that. Yeah. But I also just put it out into the world because podcasts are, they're just a fun thing to do. So I, I love it. I love yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's, it's therapeutic. It's modern therapy for the nerd culture. <laughs> like it really is. Like it's, <laughs> it's free basically besides yeah, yeah. hosting costs or whatever. So it's a lot cheaper than going to a therapist and a therapist is just going to sit there and go like, what have you been thinking about today? So it's yeah. just do that. Like right, I can right. just talk to people I like about what I've been thinking about. It's kind of the same thing. Cause I, my, I initially started because I like talking about movies and my wife hates the subject. So I needed to talk to somebody else. about yes. it. She's just kind of like, all right, that's enough. I've me. heard enough. I yeah. totally relate. <laughs> right. So uh, before we get started, you and I had, were both obsessed with Desperado too. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, man. So, Robert, you, that was like his first. Wasn't a sequel? It was a sequel. He yeah. made El Mariachi. That was his first movie, and right. he did El Mariachi for seven thousand dollars and shot it in fourteen days. And if you've seen El Mariachi, it's super rough around the edges, super punk rock. Just, but do you realize what how what he accomplished with that? It's crazy. And I, know. Well, I really realize what he accomplished with it now, having gone through that process <laughs> yeah. and literally lived through it through yeah, the Rebel had, Without a Crew, the TV yeah, show. We'll get to it because eventually you did the all the experiment as well. That we I did, and so when I um, Desperate, yeah. yeah. So he did El Mariachi, and I and I I didn't hear about that movie. I was I was 
six years old when that came out. I was actually meeting my best friend who ended up being the good exorcist at the same time Robert was filming El Mariachi. And then, but it wasn't until Desperado hit that Robert like hit the mainstream. Right. Because I remember when that movie came out, I was 10 years old. And like nine, ten, and yeah. my dad was obsessed with it. Was he really? He would sit there and quote the movie. He went and saw it in the theater. He yeah. came home and he was like constantly like picking up guitars and pretending they were guns and like he yeah. just was like so into it. He was quoting lines from the movie. Well, I think people people forget it came out after Pulp Fiction, and then you see Tarantino in the movie. Yeah, and he and Tarantino was a big part of because he had yeah. written From Dusk Till Dawn, which was. Robert's other movie that was coming out at that same time. So Robert had this like booming punk rock career, like building off of Quentin. Like they were like the rock stars of the indie film. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of a, what they call it nowadays, it's uh, the academic, the the renegade directors. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Smith and like the, all of them were, uh, they were pushing this idea of like, you could just be some small town director right from nowhere like tarantino hadn't even directed a feature like he came in and did reservoir dogs and then it was like boom this explosion and then pulp fiction was like that was it that was it that was when people were like oh indie movies can be huge i remember when that came out and my mom's like should i go see that it's like oh you're too old pulp fiction (laughs) you're too old oh i remember my parents went and saw it and they came home and they were just like dead silent and i was such a movie kid (laughs) that i would be like how was it how was it what happened what happened and they were just like silent Um, and my my mom my mom turns to my dad and she goes we both really liked it, but don't tell anyone we really liked it. <laughs> yes. Like, there was, like, a shame in liking Pulp Fiction. <laughs> like, I remember my yeah. dad, and, and my dad was sitting at the dinner table, and they were, like, kind of talking about the movie just a little bit, because they would do that. My mom and dad were both big movie fans. That's great. And that's yeah. probably one of the reasons why I got really into it. And um, But they liked very different movies and whatever, but they both yeah. liked Pulp Fiction. That was, like, the one that pulled them both in because it had action but it also had was a character study my dad really wanted just action my mom really wanted characters and like it was new it was I, it, so fresh it's classic now but when we saw it I was like that was something you've never seen before well and it got yeah. relatively panned like by fan like people didn't like it people that went and saw it were, we're just like, like my age like teenagers yeah, and college and, people yeah or yeah. people who were like my parents who liked weird movies and then wouldn't talk about it because they were embarrassed that they liked it yeah and my mom my my dad was sitting there and at the dinner table and I remember just like super vividly him saying something like you don't think that gimp thing is real do you and then my mom was like don't talk about that not in front of the children so for years I was like terrified of this gimp thing that I had no idea what it was like I didn't know and my parents constantly would be like you can watch anything you want except for Pulp Fiction like they weren't they didn't like cut me off of movies very often like and they knew the stuff I liked was really cheesy it was like right. Nightmare Camp, on Elm Street stuff. Yeah, yeah, like or like horror movies that were just blood and guts, but really didn't have any substance that could like... Sure. There was no true life to it, really. It was No, like Evil Dead, stuff. like way over the top stuff. Way over the top stuff like that. Yeah. And, but Pulp Fiction was based in reality still. And at that time, like that kind of movie that's sort of still based in reality, but weird, but like... Right. It was hard for yeah. people to wrap their head around. And... um. Yeah, but that was like that whole era of those guys was so yeah, fresh Desperado. and fun. Yeah. Back to Desperado, my dad would just quote it relentlessly, and I remember it finally came out on VHS because 
back then, like, movies would hit the theater, and they'd stay in the theater for, like, six months. Like, right. they did not hit, v- they didn't hit the rental release for quite a while. Right. I remember working at the video store, like, it would be maybe six months after it was in theaters that you get a video. And then you'd have to wait three weeks because everyone reserved it in advance, yeah. and, like, it was hard to actually get a rental when it happened. So there was always that. That was the comical thing is because people liked Pulp Fiction so much and they waited that they just rent Reservoir Dogs. Really? As oh, a that's con- hilarious. Because it's available to rent and it would, it was not Pulp Fiction. You couldn't rent it yet. So that what's the next constellation to a territory field? They would rent that. And I believe that's what, that's what started the popularity after, even though that was made before Pulp Fiction. Right. People started watching Reservoir Dogs after Pulp Fiction got. That's con- super interesting. Yeah. Like, and I, I miss that kind of like, finding things out through the talking right. to people at a rental place because that's I grew yeah. up with that that was yeah. like my hangout was nine-year-old kid ten-year-old oh, yeah. kid my parents would take me to the to the movie store every Friday and I'd rent four movies for the <laughs> next week because you get like five five for ten for five or whatever you yeah, rent five five for movies. Five. yeah, yeah, yeah. you get five movies for five dollars or five movies for ten days for five dollars or five movies for five days for ten dollars yeah so we would i would do that all the time and i just watched those movies like on repeat over and over and over yeah. again and it was movies like reservoir dogs and stuff like that but um but when they finally desperado was able to be rented it was six months later or seven months later my dad rented it and he's like okay you can't watch this whole movie because there was boobs in it and stuff and my dad went a little bit of whatever but my dad was like watch this scene and he showed me that like ending action sequence of like launching the rocket launcher yep. and everyone the big shootout at the end oh the classic everything's blowing up and they're walking away from and it, he's yeah. just sitting with the biggest smile and mm-hmm. i was like oh i gotta make movies that was like my first moment where i was like okay the only way i'm going to impress my dad is if i make an action movie <laughs> and i've just kind of built off that ever right. since and then um we've done animation before so we yeah, have, animation was my was my segue into filmmaking. Like, because I grew okay. up loving Tim Burton. Like, Tim Burton was my go to filmmaker when I was a kid. Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas, Beetlejuice. Like, I, when I was six, I got a Beetlejuice tape, and I burned through it in like a year. Like, I had destroyed that tape. I had watched it so many times, and, and for my birthday, I had to get <laughs> another one. And I remember it being like, "This is the best birthday present," yeah. but it also is sort of like tedious that i'm having to get something i already had again for my birthday but i i got beetlejuice twice i mean i've gone through a hundred copies of beetlejuice at this point I, I, I think he gets away with is making it presentable that there's some serious stuff in there yeah but there's also some light stuff he gets away with it a little bit that kids can enjoy but there's some very dark serious That's content about people dying like it's a hey, hey. twisted morbid movie but i was yeah. also a kid who read edgar Allan poe so, <laughs> like I, it, it just well fit i'm sure perfectly. you did too yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it just fit perfectly like i have this big yeah. edgar Allan poe book that my mom bought me when i was like she used to read me the raven when i was like four because the simpsons was what i grew up on and they the yeah. simpsons did that halloween special with the raven and i was like man i love the blood of, that they do in the halloween episodes of the simpsons i love the gore and the goofiness and from yeah. there i just i started getting into poe i started getting into more morbid stuff but i liked the comical yeah. element of the like of like tim burton where you know you got jack skellington taking off his head and singing to it and stuff like that like, yeah. the twistedness of tim burton was fun but he started as an animator so I was like, okay, if Tim Burton started as an animator, 
that's where I'm going to try to get my foot in the door. Sure, like, sure. I'm going yeah. to learn how to do this because I can't ask my friends to come film every day. Plus, I live in Minnesota where the seasons change so quickly. It's in, almost impossible to film anything here with yeah. no crew. Like, if you can't pull people in for, like, two weeks and film your whole movie... You can't get it done. So I, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to go that way. What I'm going to do is get an animation. Then I can learn acting. I can learn audio. I can learn lighting. I can learn character like, like studies. I can yeah. really figure out how everything works in the process because you have to do it all when you make a cartoon. You have to. Edit oh yeah, it and I agree with my, my perspective of doing this comic book that I did, uh, the the writing and the drawing of it because I'm I'm doing the uh, the set up the dialogue the what everybody looks like all the angles and all that stuff so yeah i understand the whole concept of doing it you know getting started to know every part of the whole process yeah and you play god like i love the god <laughs> like when you shoot a movie when you pick up a camera and you point it at something instantly something else either nature or the performance from the person you're looking at or the way that person looks whatever there are outside influences that are forcing you to adapt in the moment versus what literally is being seen in your head when yeah. i look at a blank screen like because right you know or blank piece of paper for animation or whatever and i look at it's completely blank it's like this it's invigorating when you look at it and you're like i am right, god yeah. right now i could do whatever i want on this screen so like that first storyboard, like my first animatic for an animation, the really, really sloppy, just like very quick. Yeah, and, yeah. it's like like storyboarding and then I just lay it out like a movie. That first time that that comes together, that is my favorite moment in any project. I love that sloppy, ugly, awful, just like I, <laughs> you, you, never, yeah. you never show it to anyone. But I mean, I do on Patreon and stuff like that. Because I, <laughs> yeah, got it, right? I'm addicted to showing people process and showing people because yeah. that moment, it, it's all downhill after that for me because it's all work. It's all making it look better, making it look presentable. Yeah, you're no longer playing God. That moment, you're just like sloppy drawings and you're like, this thing never existed and now it does. Yeah. And yeah. the other part, part is just making it prettier, cleaning it up. Yeah, editing it out and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Um, when you did animation, um, was it, what kind of style was it? What, what, did any kind of genre or what? I've jumped all around. Like I sort of adapted my style from The Simpsons and Rocco's Modern Life and Ren and Stimpy. Those were the cartoons I grew up on. Yeah. And so my style of animation that I personally prefer to do is that kind of style. But I've jumped around all over the place. I, I went to school for animation, which basically meant they taught me 3D animation. And I found that to be the most tedious, awful, miserable process ever. Kudos yeah. to everyone who does 3D. I okay. hate it. Well, don't you have to start out with the space first before you do anything? Yeah, or so with 3D, it's all like it's it's more like a math equation. Like there's a process of modeling your character that you're sort of molding something, but yeah. you're still working with points and there's like this tedium to it. Right, and then yeah. after that, you have to like rig your character, which is basically figuring out how to make points move with other points and it's i find it so boring but then on yeah. top of that then you have to figure out like how to work the once you've actually laid out your rig often it comes down to like at least when i was doing 3d which i haven't for years it comes down to like figuring out what triangles you want each like bone to mesh with and oh, how I it see. bends okay. and stuff. All it's right. just really difficult. And right. not difficult in a fun way. Like animation can take a lot of time and it can be difficult, but it's still like 
just drawing, just drawing pictures, like yeah. 2D stuff. One of the interesting things is a long time ago when we did a research on my previous podcast about the He-Man animation show was the, the how it, it was regarded almost like a factory. It was in one building where everything was done, the voiceover, the drawing, the writing out stories and how they just punched a clock. They did their drawings and then they left at Friday. And I think they had a, you know, they had an awesome place of environment to put that all in. It looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, and it can be, and even 3D can be a lot of fun. Like there's, and there's an element of that. I guess at the end, I just preferred to sit down and make my own stuff and find my style. Yeah. Which ended up like, so the reason why I was able to do that and not continue in 3D was Kevin Smith gave me a job. So I worked for Kevin Smith. Are you kidding me? No. So I worked for Kevin Smith. I was working overnights at FedEx and I was working four 12 hour days. And I had, so I'd have three nights off and no one wants to hang out at night. I was basically like a recluse in my basement, just drawing pictures for three nights a week. And um, Kevin does a podcast and he put out this contest where he was like, do this, do, do an animation, we'll air it and you can win 500, 300 or $100. So I had three days off. It just coincidentally happened to have those three days off that were like three days. Yeah, matched up perfectly. So I did this animation. I ended up getting, I think I got second place. Or I think I got second place. I definitely didn't win. Um, But then, but they liked my style enough that they were like, hey, do you want to do animation for Smodcast? And I ended up doing like a bunch of, they called them Smodimations. I did uh, maybe... 10 of those, 15 of those, and I would just do them on my weekends, and that turned into working on uh, Kevin's movie Tusk, and I did some stuff on other movies for him, and I've done stuff, just done a, did a bunch of odds and odd and end jobs for him. That's all, you're like a freelancer. I did, it. I freelanced for Kevin Smith for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, it, it, so what, do you remember what the little, the what you wanted, what was it about? What the little animation thing was? The first one? Yeah. It was, I think it was like a Batman, I actually I know it was, it was like a Batman versus Darth Vader thing where I don't know why, I don't know what the reason was for this, but I think there was like an ongoing joke on one of his podcasts about like who would win Batman or Darth Vader or there, oh, there was some like joke like that. And who wears their cape best? Yeah, so it was, and I just, and I slapped together something silly that was yeah. very like, it was like the um, the Adam West Batman. And I kind of did like an Adam West Batman impression and stuff like that. Cause I was a, <laughs> I was a huge fan of that Batman. So I, Decided yeah. to try my best at it. And I mean, it was three days of animation. It was sloppy. I, you could still see it online somewhere. I think okay. if you just look up like Batman versus Darth Vader. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. It'll you'll pop find up. It. Yeah, yeah, you'll find it somewhere. But um, yeah, and then from, yeah, he gave me the job and I just worked on that for a while. And then that sort of, I got a job doing animation professionally, which turned into a job directing, which turned into a job producing. And then got rebel without a crew and i've just had this like really fun career of being able to work a full-time job so i can support my family i've got two kids mortgage student loans like normal yeah. american dream <laughs> right. and that then on top of that i've been able to like in my free time or on my weekends work on these other projects and that's basically how i did this movie uh oh, right. the good exorcist was i did it on my weekends or after work or whatever and i'm oh, just really? very lucky that my wife and kids are willing to let me sit around on my computer and work all the time. Yeah, I'm 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 happy I'm allowed to podcast. 
Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, and, you know, yeah. and I found that one of the things was if I actually just involved them a little bit, like, we all had fun with it. It became sure. something as a family. Like, my wife comes on the podcast all the time, and we have a blast because we have such opposite views on movies and art and whatever that we're able yeah. to kind of bicker about it and it's you know it's couples therapy without anyone telling us what to say and people can listen to how goofy it is i like my, we are kind of the same my 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 wife kind of have the same relationship she's not as movie obsessed as i am it's pretty much she just if something I really like she'll watch it right and then where i'm more of intent intense you know wanted to view it and stuff like that so it's nice to see you know what did you think of it and somebody like somebody who's not the world revolves around movies just like that's all right that means it was a spectacular nothing is better the first time i watched the good exorcist with my wife it was hilarious because she like people watch the movie and when i'm with them they because i'm the director they feel like they have to like kind of placate a reaction you know what uh, i mean yeah, like yeah. they emote how they're feeling or they'll say like that was a really great shot that was super funny or sure. like oh I, the audio's messed up there right or like whatever they'll say something my wife was dead silent the entire movie <laughs> the only time she made a noise at all was <laughs> she made two she had yeah. two parts because she knew avery at that point who plays stanley in the movie and stanley walks around in his underwear a lot in the movie and there's a scene I've, I've seen this yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a scene where stanley's in his undies and she at the first reveal of that she goes you're an idiot <laughs> And then the second time she, yeah, because she knows that it was totally me and Daniel just being like, right. I wonder if we can get a stranger in his underwear on screen. Like, because we didn't write it for him. We no. didn't know the dude. We met him two God, days before the, we filmed. So did you see Mandy? What's that? Did you see the movie Mandy? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like Nicolas Cage. It, it is like Nick Cage in his undies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just loved, I loved the idea of like, what if this guy, what if we go there and we get this dude just drop into his underwear, some random stranger, and then we can just laugh about it years later. Half right. of the reason Daniel and I went on this reality show, we never, I've, I've known a ton of people who have been on reality TV shows, and I always said, like, I will never do that. I'll never Right, go. we had Judd Nichols on here. He was a cinematographer for Beta Fish. And okay. He did a reality show or an island, and you try to do a film or whatever. Okay. He said it was the most... We were, he'd never want to do it again really yeah and it's so funny because like i would do it in a rebel was the best experience of my life it was amazing but it wasn't a reality show it was more like a docu-series we weren't in competition with anyone we weren't doing no anything. it's more like a challenge yeah really well, just not like yeah not like a game it's just like a challenge here you like make movies let's see if you can do it this way right well yeah and they didn't even care if we succeeded or failed like, they, it was all on us. Like, it was just go. If you make it, you make it. If you don't, you don't. It's just, I don't even know if they actually figured we would finish movies. I think they kind of mm -hmm. thought, we'll film them. It'll be a fun time. If they finish a movie, great. If they don't, whatever. And luckily, I finished a movie, and I was super proud of it, and I love showing it to people. So, so the show was called? Rebel Without a Crew. Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah. And then you with a group of, did you already know your group that to go or you just got assembled assigned it was just me and daniel daniel and okay. i went so what happened was i got picked up for the show based on an animation i did called tim the terrible there's a theme going on yeah i know right <laughs> well then that's the thing is like part of what i've the way i've been able to make my career is just not being afraid to show my stuff to people so many people don't think what they made is good enough yeah like that happens a lot where people make an animation and i think my stuff sucks 
Like I think everyone does. Everyone sees oh, their own well, stuff. Oh, well, I've been losing my hair over making my book. Yeah, right. That's why I'm wearing a hat because that's what you think. God, this is terrible. I don't know. Why would anybody want to read this? <laughs> that's what everyone thinks. Yeah. Like there's that moment when you first start where you're like, oh, this is great. And then like yeah. five minutes in, you're like, oh, this is okay. And then six months in, you're like, I've wasted six months. What an idiot. Why would I do this? Yeah. And I've just have this. This like I don't know if if Fearless. if I had a yeah if I had a superpower my superpower would just be the ability to not give a crap like I don't care yeah well for me um, I written my if you see the script I finished my script for the book 2014 sure now we're in 2019 I'm halfway done drawing it and I'll release the whole thing was I don't know what I want I don't know if I should do it right after I read it's like oh, gosh and I don't know what's what I should I do a color should I do this or do then I was updated should I do all digital so I was, that would take the process but that was, it's just your personal blockades and it is 100% and the, yeah. the, what I tell everyone because I get a ton of people now saying like how do I get started what's like the first thing you do it's like that you do, that's not a question you if if you're gonna start you're gonna start you know exactly right. where you should start I can't tell you where to start because you know where do you do you have a location that you're thinking about using? Start writing for that location. Go out to that location. Snap some photos. Get yourself excited. Find something. Or if you're working on a comic, like if someone's like, "How do I? I want to do comics. How how do I start?" Because I do a lot of comic conventions and stuff like that. Well, I think I, that's a legitimate question because people like get a printer. That's that's the first thing people said to me. Just get a printer. Right. Print it out. What? Yeah. Do it. Do I don't. It. Just, who cares? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it's that's. That's the hardest part is just like starting or not being afraid. You, you made a point when you said like, get something. Okay, spend a little bit of money. Yeah. Like seriously, so many people are like, well, I don't want to start because I don't want to spend that money on a camera because I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish a movie or if the money's going to go to waste. Then it's going to go to waste. If yeah. you think for a second that you're going to waste the money, then, then you're you not are. going to make it. You yeah. will. Or find a way to do it. Like I got my camera, the, not the camera I shot the Good Exorcist with. We had we when we got on the show, they had us rent a camera package just to keep us all at the same sure, level. Sure, it's logical. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, they end up doing that. But the camera that I have been shooting my next movie, Craywood's plot on, and I've shot maybe ten short films on, I got for doing a wedding. They were uh, they asked me if I wanted to do a wedding, and I was like, sure, um, but. I can't. I don't. I, I, I'll need to rent. A, I'll need to rent a camera, and this is how much it's going to cost. And they were like, "Oh, okay. Would you be interested in?" And this is my sister-in-law, so she was. She kind of knew what I was getting at. Well, but okay, she, yeah. And she was like, a "Complete stranger." No. <laughs> and she was like, "Do you, well, what if we bought the camera for you, and then you can keep the camera afterwards?" And I was like, "Thumbs Perfect. up. Yep, yeah. I'll do it." Done. And so I filmed their wedding. They loved the video, and I got to keep a camera in the end. <laughs> I think everybody starts out that way, right? It's just like, how do I start? We just, just got to do it. Yeah. Oh, and you got to make a lot of garbage. Like, I think yeah. you got to just, like, I assume before you started your comic, you had drawn, you had done some artwork. Oh, you yeah. Had, when I was a kid, I was doing it all the time. And right. I was, I was, when you were a kid, you completely plagiarize. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was think I was doing Neil Adams comic books forever. Right. <laughs> I think I was getting pretty good at drawing Neil Adams, before even Neil Adams was, right? But yeah, that's what as a kid, you learn. And then what really struggled with me is what the heck my style was. You got to figure out what kind of style you're comfortable with. Because, you know, eventually I started drawing pages like, really? This is how it's going to look? And you got to get comfortable. Even like when you podcast, you got to get comfortable with your own voice. This right. is what it's going to be, right? So many people like struggle with those things though. Right. That like finding a comfort. Then that's what I was kind of saying before is if you're not comfortable with 
doing it, people aren't going to be comfortable with seeing it. Yeah. But the second I, I realized, okay, just show it. Just show everything. No one really cares. It's all art and entertainment anyway. No, especially if, it, if, if, if you think it's awful, somebody in the world's going to like it. Right. And somebody some, in the world likes it. Yeah. And someone's going to think it's the worst thing they've ever seen. That's yeah. my favorite my favorite thing about making art is the fact that you're making something that is going to be utterly inspiring to someone right. and someone else is going to think it's the worst thing they've ever seen and part of that is simply based on how they feel that day. Yeah. Like I've had so many people who tell me they didn't like a movie and I'm like, "Really? You didn't like that? I thought that movie was fantastic." And then they're like, and we start talking about it, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I went because, you know, my dog had died, and I just wanted to get out of the house. I was feeling bad. I'm like, well, of course you're not going to be in a, the mood to see a movie, because you had this terrible experience that you now associate with it. And that that doesn't make their dislike or liking of the movie any better or worse. It yeah. just makes it their opinion. I know, I know. I um, I caught myself this year by I just announced on our Twitter handle. What did you? You just for like an end of the year best movies and all that stuff, and I just kind of shout it out and see if anybody wanted to get noticed for it. So I sent the question out: What would you regard as the best movie of the year? And I got a wide spectrum of answers to the point where I was like, "What? Right? You know, you sh what? Really? That? You know?" And then somebody's like, "Well, I, I really like Ready Player One." I was like. Really? Yeah. That's the best movie of the year? <laughs> and then I caught myself and go, well, I don't, if that's what you think, yeah. I asked it. Right. And what? I had, I actually loved Ready Player One, and I could tell you, it wasn't my favorite movie of the year by any means, and right. I think if I had gone to the theater and just, like, watched it, I probably wouldn't have liked it. But I sat down. No, yeah, if it, you went there with your scholarly hat and looking for an academic film. Right. You're going you're gonna to get, yeah, disappointed. But you go there for a fun yeah, I, I watched it at home with my six-year-old, and yeah. well, he was five at the time, and it was like things that he's just learning about. He had just, <laughs> he had just seen Back to the Future. He had just seen Ghostbusters. He knew Goro from Mortal Kombat, because I play Mortal Kombat. Yeah. He's geeking out over this stuff. I'm geeking out, because I'm like, dude, put a Mortal Kombat and alien joke together. Like, yeah. how am I not going to just enjoy that out of pure stupidity of seeing it? Right, because you just did Batman and Dark. <laughs> right, exactly. It's yeah. it's it's dumb, fun, and I enjoyed it. Was it the best movie of the year? No, but also someone who's like, yeah, but it's just nostalgic bullshit. I'm like, yes, it is. So, it is. Yeah, 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 you yeah. cannot like it. That's great that you don't like it because that means something else out there you will like. Yeah, and you got to just hone into that. And when with like, um. With working on a feature now, I've really felt the being on the inside of people liking it, disliking it. You can feel them like trying to like it. Where I'm like, yeah. you don't have to like it because I'm here. You cannot like it. Or people who uh, really, really love it and want to kind of poo poo it based on the fact that, especially in the film community, I get a lot of people who are like, well, why would you make that instead of putting more time into something? Or why wouldn't you just make your own movie or whatever? Yeah, it's right, kind of yeah. like yeah. everyone goes on their own journey. That's the fun of life is going down your own path. Do your own movie. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the whole reasons why I did my comic book is because I liked the certain kind of stories and didn't see them in the comic books. And I eventually just, it's that old phrase. If there's a story out there that you haven't found that you like, do it your damn self. <laughs> 100%. And I, what I don't like is I see so many people right now in the film community who are, and in the comic book community, honestly, that are seeing something that they like 
and trying to replicate that instead of doing the opposite. Right, you should yeah. see something you don't like and figure out how you can make that better. What don't you like about that? Because then obviously you can do, you can build off of what you don't like. Otherwise, yeah. you're just taking something we've already seen. I, and doing the recycling in yeah. comic books is kind of, yes. Yeah, yep, yep. Oh, uh, before we get a little break, uh, give us a little sample. The Good Exorcist, if anybody is not familiar with it, my listeners. So why don't you give a little sample before, we, before break about what the, what is The Good Exorcist about? Yeah, man, The Good Exorcist is a movie I made for $7,000 with a reality crew following me around. I, I finished the movie in about three and a half months. We shot it in 14 days. And I did it basically by myself. It's a movie about a priest who goes into a, a ranch, which was originally written to be a bed and breakfast. But he goes into a ranch to exercise the demons from this very, very eccentric family's. Uh, right. It's like a. It's like a real. It's supposed to be like a relaxation getaway, but it totally is not. And <laughs> it's yeah. It's right. um, the. Uh, the movie was written for priest because we had a priest costume. Ah. It was between making him a priest or making him a clown. Right. We were writing it. it. And I'm like, man, I don't want to put makeup on him every single day. <laughs> so we went with priest. And then we just we just ran with it. So it's a comedy movie. Um, I know a lot of people here exorcist and they think it's going to be a horror it's yeah. it's not scary. It's a comedy. It's fun. It's very, very influenced by the schlocky midnight movies that you'd see on like uh like um um like the Joe Bob Briggs shows or like the you know TNT late at night yeah, stuff right. critters that kind of thing so yeah it's a really fun silly goofy time and i we had a blast making it all right more about that when we come back from the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews and why why are you stopping me Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.com gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. We're back. Did you do storyboards for this? Did you have time? I did do a lot of storyboards. So I wrote the script when I was told about the show. Um, we had I had two weeks, so I went out to uh, L Ray Network and they bought a cartoon from me. It went on, and while I was there, they asked me if I was interested or if I had any feature film or uh, live action stuff. Okay. So I sent them some of my shorts or whatever, and they're like, "We really like these." Uh, do you have a feature film script that you could do because we were yeah. going to do this show? And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally have a feature film script. Total lie. 
I did not have a feature. I had never. I mean, I had feature film scripts, but nothing. Hey, that's all the old band Oasis got signed. Yeah, I know. The producer saw me at the show. He goes, "Do you have a bunch of records?" Oh yeah, we we got all these songs. Yeah, right. Yeah, not nothing. You gotta gotta lie. Like you gotta. I mean, like it's a white lie in that I did have feature film scripts, but nothing I could do for seven thousand dollars. And really. Even my features that I had written were super sloppy. They, I never would have sent them in. So they were like, I was like, but, okay, so, yeah, I have a feature. Can I take two weeks to clean it up because it's rough? And they were like, oh, yeah, totally. So Daniel and I just started writing. Like, we took a week, and we would write all night. We would send each other. We've got software that you could write scripts yeah. at the same time. So he and I would be on that software just, like, writing notes to each other, typing. We'd pop on the phone if we had questions, and we just wrote, 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 wrote. And we finished the script in two weeks. They asked me to send it in with uh, – well, they first, like, right away, they were like, okay, you don't have to send the script, but send me a synopsis and – um, like kind of a list of characters or whatever. Yeah. So I just we just sat down and I was like, okay, you're gonna be a priest. Here's some of the characters. I've got this teddy bear. Let's write something about the teddy bear in the movie. So there's like an evil teddy bear in one sequence. The demon possesses a teddy bear. So I was like, let's put that in it. Turns out it was my wife's teddy bear that she got when she was born. <laughs> and it's got well, this. Yeah, I'm sure she's thrilled about uh, it. It's got all of these like. <laughs> it's got all of these like stories now attached to it about how her mom got it for her because her mom always wanted a pink teddy bear when she was a little girl. So she bought this pink teddy bear for. Jewish right. It always has a story. When yeah. she had her first kid, and then yeah. I took it and I ripped its head off and made it spray blood and say awful things and um so we wrote for the teddy bear we wrote for a priest we wrote a couple of characters but we were like we kept the characters super loose in the script because we were like okay if we can't find this type of a person we'll change it but i knew i wanted one really strong female she's she ends up being kind of the lead of the movie. She kind of takes over near the end and sort of is... Well, I can see how you're writing how these, this, you have this priest dominate, but you have to have something to bounce it out. Exactly. Yeah. So, And I was like, well, we'll make her... What we'll do is we'll make her not show up for a while, but make her like kind of talked about, and you're really curious who she is. Uh, and then we slowly build her, and then all we need is her for like two days of the 14 at the end, and we can film all of her stuff. So if we can get someone really awesome like a Michelle Rodriguez type for the end of the movie, we then we can make this like badass bitch that I wanted. Well, nice. You keep her for the third act or whatever. Right, exactly. And then she kind of takes over for the priest at the end and kind of ends up taking taking the reins and making it not being just, you know, one dude as the like lead of the whole thing. Yeah, I get it. And I got lucky that Brittany, who ended up playing Maria came out for like a ton of the shoot she was awesome she would improv stuff she we ended up writing was she from austin when you yep every so all of the cast was from austin everyone that we got we did what happened was for the reality show the first week they called pre-production and that was we picked our locations from a binder they literally gave us a binder (laughs) for for austin yeah, yeah they gave us a binder and they said all right you've got 15 minutes to pick your location go yeah and I was like, okay, well, it's supposed to be in a bed and breakfast, but I, this ranch looks beautiful. I guess I'll take that. No. And it turned out being amazing. I had to rewrite my whole script for a ranch, 
but it was the best location I could have. Oh, I could just at. tell you. I could just see you going to this ranch. Yeah, we're going to have to change some things. Yeah, yeah. We're everything. Like, everything. Yeah. I was yeah. like, but I was sitting in the ranch. If you On my Patreon, I actually have a video where I was filming with my cell phone. All right. And you can see this video where I'm walking around going like, okay, this is going to be Father Gill's room. Oh, this is the perfect bathroom. We can change this from being Father Gill's room to Father Gill's ranch house. And this room can be the, or this house can be the Willow's house, or Willow's room, instead of just giving them one bedroom this can be the room where they eat breakfast and sit in but it's also their house that they sleep in so i just changed the script as i went and um but we for casting we were given two hours or so to cast based on they had like 300 people come in and they were like wow all right now cast your movie and so i looked around at 300 people and i was like i don't who i don't know who i'm gonna cast this is ridiculous so i would just walk up to it is kind of ridiculous that's kind of right there right so i'd walk up to random people and i'd be like hey man you kind of look like a homeless guy you want to play a homeless guy (laughs) (laughs) because they're supposed to be a homeless guy that the the priest throws so this is kind of a funny story i don't know if i've told this on i don't know if i've ever told this on a podcast before i probably have but so there is a scene where the priest is supposed to walk by a homeless guy and give him five dollars or like throw him some money and it's just it's in filmmaking they call it like the save the cat moment they used to do a scene at the beginning of a movie where a guy would be walking down the street and he'd see like a little girl trying to get her cat down from the tree and he would get the cat down and give it to the little girl and you instantly liked that guy because he's a nice dude. He saved the cat. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, so every a lot of times in movies, they do this save the cat moment where you see the lead do something nice and instantly you're like, okay, he's a good person or she's a good person, whatever. So I, I my save the cat moment was just like, well, if he gives a homeless guy a few bucks, you know he's a good guy because a priest doesn't have a lot of money. Right, like, right I mean, yeah. you assume this priest wouldn't have a lot of money. So if he's throwing people money, he's got, he must be pretty nice. The homeless person had no lines in the script. There was nothing there. So I walked up to this guy who looked like a homeless man. I'm like 90% sure now in retrospect, this dude was just there for craft services and then was going to leave. Like he yeah. he was a homeless dude. So I walked well, up, you're not, I'm not surprised. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I walked up to this dude and I'm just like, hey man, uh, I have a part in my script. There's no lines or anything, but or I didn't say that. I was like, I have a part in my script for a homeless person. Would you be interested? It's a half a day shoot. Very, very minor. Then dude's like, um, does it have any lines? I was like, no, nope, no lines. Super easy. You don't have to memorize anything. You just come in. He's like, I don't do anything that doesn't have lines. I was I like, this wow. I, I love like, this guy. I, like, <laughs> I did. I, I like cracked the biggest smile. I'm like, that's the boldest move I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, that is like so. I expect that like from like Mickey Rourke or something. Exactly. Yeah. Like that. Exactly. I didn't. I never thought that this guy who looks like All a homeless dude. Yeah. yeah. And, and number one. So in, in that moment, I was like, okay, anyone who actually comes out to set, even for a day, I'm going to give them $50. Just to pay them something, like because we were right. like we didn't have to pay our cast. Like that wasn't like a, a rule. Is like you have to pay your cast. So most of us didn't because we didn't have money. Like I think I'm the only one who actually paid my cast. And that's not a that's not slighting any of the other filmmakers because seven thousand dollars is not a lot of money. No, like, it isn't. We had to no. pay for locations. We had to pay for camera gear. We had to pay for lights. We had to pay for everything. So any money you can save, if you directly say to you know an actress or actor, if you're like, hey, I'll give you fifty bucks for the day. 
yeah. it instantly pulls them in. But also, if you say, we're making this as a passion project, I can't afford to pay you. If they're like, well, then I'm out. You're like, well, okay, I, was, I wasn't going to be able to pay you legitimate anyway. And I wasn't. But I still wanted to give them something for gas money and lunch or whatever. Right. So I gave them 50 bucks. And if people came out for multiple days, I think I ended up paying like 250 to everyone. Who, well, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was just a, I could afford it and whatever because I didn't have a lot of people in the movie. And I didn't have to pay Daniel, my lead. So... I uh, and I didn't pay myself. But he got. Did he get lines in the movie? Daniel, no, the homeless guy. So here's what happens. So then, (laughs) end of the day, I had cast everyone else, and at the end of the day, I and I end up casting everyone based on just having a conversation. Or if someone came up to me and was like, "Hey, I'm interested in working on your movie. I like the idea of the exorcism. I read through a couple of the pages of your script that you have laying out, and I really, really like it." would you be interested? Is there a role for me? I'd be like, I can find something. So I just cast people based on that. Nice, nice. Part. I like that. And um, so th- then at the end of the day, the only person I hadn't cast was the homeless guy. And all of a sudden, so I, I had yeah. 10 minutes left. I'm like, anyone who thinks they can play a homeless man, come over here because I want to talk to anyone who could play a homeless man. And I had like maybe 10 people come over. And this one dude and they all were nice enough guys I kind of talked with them for five minutes here there and the one dude handed me his headshot and he looked he had like a total look for it I looked at it and I was like I looked at his name and it said Les and I was like Les that is the best name he's like dude look at it look at it look at it and pointed at the thing his name was literally Les Best I was like that is the best name oh my god like that's so How'd cool you... <laughs> I'm like I'm like the part doesn't have a, the part doesn't have any lines it's it's whatever it's very simple and he's like that's totally fine like I totally just want to come out and be a part of it and I I was like awesome you're in you are my homeless man. so he's I, in there I went home so I went back to the house that we were at and I was looking over the script and doodling storyboards because I did do storyboards just like in my okay. free time I just draw them out like anytime I was sitting around I was drawing storyboards and I was sitting there looking through the script and I'm like I'm gonna give this dude a line why not like why not so yeah. in the movie when he throws the money's down he, down he goes um Thank you, Father. Always appreciated. Which then instantly makes it like the priest is always just giving always homeless people, nice these, these homeless guys money, and it makes right. it even more lovable in that moment. It actually does. Yeah, it so, gives. A, it actually adds to the story. Exactly. Flies, yeah. Through one line, dude came out, did the lines, and at the end of the day, I was like, "Hey, uh, I'm giving everyone fifty dollars for just putting in the time or whatever." And Les was like, "I just wanted to be a part of something cool. You don't 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 pay me. I don't want it." Because his name is Les. Yeah, Les Best. <laughs> Dude, he's the... And I still, to this day, like, that guy is one of the coolest dudes. I follow him on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And if you need a good, Home, like, it, good... Act, no, and he's, like, a good actor. Like, I started looking up his stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this guy, I should have given him 50 lines. He's amazing. So, what? Les Best, if you're, if you're in Austin, man, hire Les Best. He's amazing. I loved Austin, man. How many times have you been back since after filming? So many times. I like I Would basically you, it's like a second home for me. I Do you drive it? No. Oh no. I like so You fly it. Yeah, and then I have Avery who played Stanley in the movie. I just like hang out with him the whole time. He lets me stay at his place and stuff like that. Like we yeah. sometimes get hotels. We've got hotels a couple times, but I go out there like and just hang out with my cast. Like well, I've, I've stayed friends with everyone. It's hard to imagine especially if you live in Minnesota how it's so pet friendly there you can go to a restaurant and just bring your dog right i know it i mean i go to a bar and like oh i i, I wanted to i was in a bar and, and all of a sudden i 
there was a Labrador on the floor and I almost stepped on it. I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't expect a dog to be in the, right. It's just there's, there's, absolute pet friendly of there. It's pet friendly. The f- like the food is the best in the world. I, I We talked about it in prep, yeah. Uh, I cannot believe how good the food is there. The atmosphere is great. The film community is super engaging and like, I think part of it is like that the art community there because it, it came out at that period like with Robert and Richard Linklater like these filmmakers yeah. who were just doing it because they wanted to make movies they wanted to make something cool and there's a ton of other artists that come from Austin that is just like it's spawned this creative force there everyone is so creative and fun to be around I, I've never had a problem I've been there three times and I've I've always enjoyed every time I've been there it's just it's something new and something it's always it's the same place but always different slightly different every time you go there I, I have a different adventure every time I go that's no, why okay, I, yeah. I, was, I was there for South by uh, the good exorcist premiered at South by last year oh it did and yeah so we were there for the whole time and we had the like all access platinum badge or whatever so we got in f- like first to everything we wanted to go to and it was like a total party so you're gonna go this year so this year daniel and i are gonna go back but we're not getting any badges we're not gonna do anything like right. crazy we're gonna go actually hit because we found we really enjoyed the parties that were free and stuff too yeah and there's a lot of filmmakers there who can't afford the the badges so they just go and hang out they go to see their short film or whatever right i think there's like the little park by the river you could just set up nobody nobody gives a crap you just set up and show your movie chill it's so fun so that's what i'm gonna do is just go there and party and hang out and try to promote my second feature graywood's plot that is okay that's your second one yeah yeah graywood's plot is we're in production right now we're in post-production right now and we're we're filming that for no budget four thousand dollars is what i've spent on it so well i spent about three thousand so far i plan to spend about four graywood graywood's plot graywood like like a plot of land got it so it's about these two friends who are cryptozoologists who of course who isn't yeah right who get (laughs) footage but they're like they're, they're cryptozoologists in the internet era where everything can be debunked. Like, anything you come up with, everyone's like, that's a load of crap. No Man, way. Yeah. Like, I could tell that that's fake. So they um, they get this VHS tape of a chupacabra. So it's already outdated. Like, it's been a long time ago. And, and, and no one's ever... And this is like a tape that just gets sent to them in the mail with a letter that says, like, this was filmed on this plot of land, this yeah. dude Greywood's, uh, Doug Greywood's plot. And... If you and here's his phone number, contact him if you want to know more about this chupacabra. Yeah. And so these two guys go out to film a documentary about the chupacabra, and it, obviously it doesn't go well. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so how, how long did you take to write it? Did you write it? Did so you? This is interesting. We actually uh, filmed. We this was my first feature that I was going to film. I went to for my thirty first birthday. So my my plan in life was to film a feature film by the time I turned thirty. Okay. And then I hit my thirtieth birthday and hadn't made a feature film. And I was like, wow, I've worked with Kevin Smith, I've worked with Lloyd Kaufman from Troma, I've worked for CNN, I've done all this shit that I'm super proud of. How have I not done the one thing on my bucket list? Like, how stupid is that? To Josh, waste? it's kind of, I got the same story. I love comic books, and all of a sudden, why haven't I done my own? Right. <laughs> it's kind of the what, what did it, what, what happened? Right. You, do, you did the art, you've been working at it, you've done it, but you just never did it. Right. And you just look at, your, you look back and you go like, I spent so much time thinking about what everyone else had done wrong, how I would do things differently, what I would do, oh, and I never just, did it. This is so scary. It's so, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
So that you're now after this, this is actually your full feature film. Yeah. So Grey Woods. Then when I turned thirty, I was like, I can't believe I didn't do this. I'm gonna do it. And another year went by, and I got to my thirty-first birthday, and I still hadn't done. It, it, my birthday was coming up, and I was like, I'm never gonna do it if I don't just go do it. Yeah. Like so, I, agree. I wrote out a uh, like a scene by scene what I want to happen in every scene. We didn't script it. We didn't know what we were doing, but I was like. For my 31st birthday, Keith, Daniel, Nathan Strauss, my three buddies, we're going to go in the we're going to go in the woods and we're going to film this thing. We're just going to go do it. Like nice. I don't care if it's garbage, I don't care what it is. We're just going to yeah. go do it. So we went out in the woods. We went out for 7 days or something like that. Did just, you camp out there? We we had a little house that we stayed in, but it was <laughs> it was like the it was not like well kept. Like it, people it was had dilapidated. All yeah, people God. had lived there for like a year this and is, a half. The making like, of this movie sounds it should be a movie too. And I'm doing that. I've been filming the whole thing. Yeah, I've been filming the process of making this. So we went out and filmed it, and we came back, and Daniel and I started editing, and we were like, "This is awful. Like this is not good. Like we didn't know we were just improving what we were saying. It was really bad. We're like, okay." Let's take what we have, sit down and write this thing and figure it out. Yeah. And then yeah. I got the call to be on Rebel. And they were like, "You do you want to do a feature film?" And I was like, "Oh. Well, oh, I guess we're going to put this by the wayside and we're going to go do this other feature." Yeah. And we talked about it. We we're like, "Should we do Greywood's plot?" And I'm just like, "No, I don't I think we need to put more time into that one. That one is too it's too us. There's too much like invested in it at this point. I want to do something that if it doesn't turn out, we're not mad it didn't turn out. I want to do something just punk rock. We come up on, with on the fly. We're not right. afraid Spit to change it. Spit out and if it doesn't stick on the wall, what the hell? Exactly. Yeah. And so, and more Robert Rodriguez. Greywoods is a little bit more like, um, it's it's sort of a throwback to Universal Monsters movies. It's a little bit more slow and methodical. I want to do like a Grindhouse movie. So I wrote, yeah. I wrote The Good Exorcist as like a Grindhouse comedy with a little bit of a Sam Raimi twist to yeah. it. You know what you do? Like a really authentic Grindhouse movie is make sure it had a missing reel in it. All of a sudden, it just jumps into the third act. You're like, dude, I, I love that stuff. <laughs> I, when he did, when they, because they do that in, um, oh, they did Planet Terror. They did yeah, Planet Terror. Terror. Also, like, in the third, the second right reel's gone. The sex scene. It like <laughs> cuts to the sex scene, or like the sex scene is happening. And then it cuts, and all of a sudden, the house is on fire, and there's zombies everywhere. And you're I like, have a whole. How did we get there? I have a whole collection of. It's I bought it at an old bookstore. It's called Collection of Best of Drive Through Movies, which is of course Grindhouse mm-hmm. stuff. It's stuff that you weren't supposed to pay attention to. You just took your date to a drive-in. You I weren't. Love those movies but, but that's I, what the good exorcist kind of is i know is. but I, I, I bought him consciously and i show him look at all these great movies in my dad's we didn't watch that what are you gonna watch it yes i'm gonna watch it and you watch it and it's still like you can see like cigarette burns yeah dude i love that <laughs> stuff because I it's kind it. of the, the it, i the best part when those old movies came out is when they cue the sound and you can hear the sound before the movie starts. Yeah, it would like come on and it'd be all like nasty at first. It's like, in this, and then the picture would come on. Right, and then it's slowly like it's it's out of sync sometimes and it goes away or comes back. So awesome. (laughs) Yes, I love the exploitation. Yeah, I want to do it. So I want to do, originally when uh, Robert and and Quentin talked about doing... uh, the Grindhouse movie, it was originally supposed to be two 50-minute movies. Yeah. So it was supposed to be like a smaller thing that was just watched as like one movie. They weren't separate things. And of course, Quentin can't do that. It blew up into this whole thing. But I still no. think that that idea for young filmmakers, like or, or like people who are just starting out, yeah. I think that that idea of doing like a 50-minute 
grindhouse movie and learning the process with another filmmaker where you can see how theirs is coming out you can work together on something i think that'd be so fun plus there it's exploitation so you can just have fun with it and make it campy yeah. and crappy so i'm actually planning to do that probably next year probably in 2020 i'm gonna find like a filmmaker who i really the funny thing is is you, and, the funny and the unique well the unique thing about if you do it is you have to actually put a more conscious effort to make it to look authentic where those guys just just made a movie right yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> but you have to make like okay kind of like that it looks like that the lighting's kind of chalky looking almost and, i know well yeah, yeah and like and you also you know they were shooting it on like eight millimeter or <laughs> yeah. 16 millimeter which instantly like if you don't know what you're doing it just looks crappy in like yeah. an awesome way yes. so i actually might I, i've been talking about i'm gonna do a, a little faux grindhouse tr- not trailer but like a short film about a killer right. ventriloquist dummy. I've always wanted to do a killer ventriloquist dummy. It's called Vinny. And, but I want to shoot it on legit Super 8, which is more expensive to do. To do this yeah, short man. film on Super 8, it's going to cost me almost as much as my second feature, which is crazy. <laughs> so I'm waiting till yeah. I really know what... I'm really ready to do it. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Greywood's plot. We're yeah, we're in process right now. We're hoping to put it out in April. Okay, and that was what you, you were originally doing, and then you got called up. Yep. So then, the, as like the last got... day on the last day on um, the Good Exorcist, we were wrapping up filming the last like the martini shot is what it's called, the final shot. And I turned to Daniel and I'm like, man, we we have to do this again. Like this is the most fun we've ever had, right? And he was yeah. like, dude, I'm so sad to be going home like this was which is great he had just had two kids i had two kids at home like he had had two babies like newborns that he had to leave behind for it and we both <laughs> we both wanted to go home but part of us was also like yeah wow this adventure is ending now like we were heartbroken right. that we had to like leave this and i'm like dude we have to make time to do this again and I, he was like, well, what do, how do we do it? What do we do? And I was like, we do Greywoods. Yeah. Like, we've already got a ton of amazing B-roll. We've got a ton of great shots. Like, we had some really great stuff. What we didn't have was a fleshed out script and story. Like, there was just a sloppiness to how it was coming together. I'm like, the idea is solid. And now we've been thinking about it for two years. Like, we yeah. know what that movie is supposed to be. We go back. We make it black and white. So that the footage can match. Oh, because I get we've it. learned yeah. so much. How can we make this footage match? I'm like, we already knew it was going to be a throwback to Universal Monster movies. Yeah. Let's just go legit. It's an Ed Wood style movie mixed with the Universal. Like, it's Ed Wood in that it's it's no budget. It's run and gun. It's garbage. Yeah. Like, it's not it's kind good. of almost, Yeah, I can see a little more starky. Yeah, yeah. totally. But yeah. then it, you know, it we can learn from Frankenstein and... Um, it has a very, it's a Chupacabra movie, so it has a very um, Nosferatu vibe to it, which I've always been a huge fan of Nosferatu, and it, it shows. In which is of, also missing its second reel. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, and there there's not a literal missing reel in Greywood's plot, but when you see it, there's a moment where you're like, oh, he did the missing reel. Like, I love it. There's, an, a, there's something that's just not quite right as, yeah. as to how you get to from one location to the other and it's meant to be very like we're not in kansas anymore like where the where the hell did we end up so anyway yeah and then we just decided to do it we've spent the last this fall we went and spent another week in the woods filming more stuff and then we um 
the whole sequence takes place in like kind of a laboratory and then a bunch of it takes place at right. my house so we just filmed on the weekends and we wrapped we're, we're we've got a couple more things we have to film in production with some prosthetics there's like a full like monster costume that's being that we're making okay. ourselves so we right. taught ourselves how to do actual casting like I in my kitchen, we did a full cast of my face. Oh, a ca- like a cast, cast. Yeah, yeah. So like we did like a mold so that we could make a mask for like a cowl, a full cowl, and for the monster basically. And I, uh, so we we taught ourselves how to do like putting the the lagoon yeah, and all we that. Did all of that. Okay. And there was a moment where Strauss, my buddy, was putting it on me, and my kids were running around the kitchen. My wife and Daniel were helping him put it on me, yeah. and I could feel like the nose holes kind of closing as they were trying to like keep it from thinking. I'm like. What if I die in the kitchen while my fam, my kids right. are running around filming it? Because I gave yeah. my kids a what's camera. That, to what's that headline going to be like? Yeah. What's, yeah. yeah what's oh that? my god! That there's a documentary. Watch a dude die trying to make his second movie. <laughs> and but we we got it made, and the the cowl looks amazing. The ca- yeah. the monster is coming out really cool. So we have to film that still. Um, but other than what that, are you I, thinking for uh, what eventually all done and sending out to the world? What are you thinking that would be? We're debating, so I have to send it to some studios who are interested in distribution sure. in April. And but we're also debating just putting it out there. Like I love when people just independently distribute things. I always think that that's that punk rock mentality of just putting it out there and like, here, tell a yeah. friend if you like it. If you watch this, like. If you watch this and enjoy this DVD, show it to a friend, and if they like it, have them show it to a friend, and if they like it, just keep spreading the word. Like, that underground punk rock mentality of, like... Well, that's underground comics. That's how they, yeah. I know, and that's, like, that's what the old, old, like, rental places were, where it was a way to be, like, hey, have you seen this? Check this out. Like, I remember the first time, my favorite movie is this documentary called American Movie, that, I love that. Yeah. Oh, so, it's so good. Wasn't it the one that took him like 20 years to finish? Yeah, if it took him like 10 years to finish a short film. He never even finished the actual film. No, the, in the beginning, he doesn't know how to play guitar. At the, yeah. at the end, he's like very proficient. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And but like, it, they made it. it was, well, kind of. The short, yeah. yeah they yeah, finished they, the short. And and the movie, I, I love it. I find it super inspiring. Mark Brochard, the guy that it's about, is like a total inspiration to me. And um, I, lo- I, I found that through a rental store where we were just yeah. like looking around through comedies and the dude who was like stalking the shelf was like, what do you guys like? And we were like, we just rented Evil Dead 2. Uh, we really like whatever, you yeah. know, Sam Raimi stuff was what we were into at the time. And he's like, watch this. This guy is like trying to make horror movies. It's crazy, but it's a comedy, but it's like real. Check it out. Yeah. And we started watching it. We we're just like, there's no way this is real. This has to be fake. And as we looked into it, we we're like, this is totally real. Is he from, I think he's from, the Michigan. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's from, I think he's from Michigan. Um, Not too far away from us. No, no. no. I mean, this is the, the seasons that passed through that movie, it felt like being in Minnesota. Like, because you <laughs> see it turn from winter to spring, yeah. summer, like back <laughs> yes. to winter. Yeah. Um, but that's what I, I, I'd say when I missed the video stores because of that, you went to discover stuff that you never heard about. And then you can, now it's just whatever that on the surface, right? It's hard to find the little things that before you did before the video store. And social media like just destroys it because the second someone is like, check out this movie, it's awesome. Someone else will hop on and be like, it's garbage. You're like, well, okay, I guess I won't watch that. I, so like, right. I try to just shut off from what 
people say about stuff and then go to like do podcasts talk to people i like to have people dm me and say like hey man check this movie out or i'll post every once in a while saying like give me the weirdest movie you saw this last month because i want to check it out can i give you one right now yeah dude uh sam elliott is in it's called the man who killed hitler and then i want to see that so bad it looks amazing it is kind of amazing and it's not it's not as exploitative as you think there's i it's it's not a bait and switch. You think it's like exploitative and it's, it's, there's so much to it that it, it's just, you think it's just going to be on the surface, but there's so much but to it. But it's quality. Yeah. People yeah. said it's more of a mine house than a grindhouse, which in fact it is. Cool. Yeah. yeah and, and with The Good Exorcist, when you see it, like it is, it's a grindhouse movie. Like I, I made it as that midnight movie, yeah. but there's also some like really heartfelt stuff. I don't just go surface with it. I tried to do a little bit more and yeah. you know, I, I grew up I was going to be in the seminary. Like I went to school to be in the seminary and dropped out and like just kind of went a different direction. But I wanted to put a lot of that, what I feel into it. So there is, it isn't a little bit. Well, everybody says that your movies always slight autograph or your self portrait. I think it totally is. And on that saying, the movie is stupid. Like it's so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, would you do, would you do, um, is there a certain genre that you just kind of would wait to do or you always want to stick to kind of the action? I would do it. I'm, I, like, I would love to do anything. It's more mm-hmm. a matter of like what story I have to tell. Right. So like if all of a sudden I have a story that I like that that falls into a romantic comedy, I do sure, it. Sure. I just, I don't have that to say. Like I, I, yeah, didn't, I, I didn't live through romantic comedy. I lived through like, you know, yeah. I got married pretty young and I, we just never had like sure i might have funny stories to tell like i yeah. did a, i did a short uh animated short called 10 things you learn in the first year of being a dad which <laughs> is something i just it's it's very dark at times i mean like it says like um your kid is your baby is suicidal you're going to have to try to save it from committing suicide at any given moment and then it cuts to a kid mm-hmm. trying to like stick a fork in a outlet or pull a knife off of a table and it's like that that's yeah. what babies do like i saw no, yeah. that from experience where there's so many times where i'm like why did you try to go head first off of the couch <laughs> like why would uh, yeah um we are our, our, my wife and i's good friends um they have two kids and it's a very rare opportunity that there we can have them go out and you know see a movie or out to dinner, you know, away from the kids. And the first thing when I saw him was like, "Well, who's watching the kids? Why would you bring up the kids? Right, yeah, when I'm not, I don't have them. Why right. would you bring it up? I don't. You put them in my brain again. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it's so true. Or like, shut up. <laughs> and I, I just try to pull from things that like I saw or annoyed me about parenting, and I could see that. Right. I could see doing that as a feature or as a series or something else because i did it as an animation or even like an animated like an animated show um but you know that i don't know if there's a genre that i specifically wouldn't ever do there's just there's genres i don't think i would be good at like i don't think i could do a musical comedy (laughs) i could probably do that like i i grew up it would probably be punk rock music or something like that. there there you go you and i will sit down we'll write a punk rock dude i totally would do that we'll do a rock and roll high school part two i actually would love to do a like horror punk i saw um i've watched the evil dead musical the evil dead on broadway musical (laughs) and i I was in like 100 percent in um my i think that the greatest piece of entertainment 
I've ever seen was the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was the single most powerful thing I've ever seen in my life. I love that opening, hello. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's so hello. awesome. Yeah. yeah, so when I saw that, I was just like, I was I was shocked that I loved it as much as I did. But it's because yeah. I grew up religious, all of this other stuff, just seeing that was, it was, it was awesome. But yeah. um, I could do that. I, what I don't think I could do is like a straight up drama. Like I don't right. know, I, I'm so goofy and like silly. I don't think I could sit down and go. It just like, it would be like out of your nature, like be like almost forced out of you. Like right? I grew yeah. up on Spielberg. He was Spielberg was like the director that I got into probably first because Jurassic Park was at that ripe age of like when the yeah. block that I that was my first blockbuster that I saw in the theater was Jurassic Park, and Jaws was just like the most terrifying thing for a kid to see especially when you spend time in in the ocean or on like because i grew up spending like a month every year in mexico so i by the ocean yeah, yeah it was terrifying so jaws was terrifying so spielberg was huge to me but i could never do like a schindler's list like no. i just never could do that it's just i don't have anything that i care about right that much like I, you know, you're writing, and it's like, and I watch Aaron Sorkin movies or something like that, or what he written. I was like, there's no way anybody can duplicate how he writes stuff. Right. He's so dial, you know, dialogue heavy. He knows how to frame everything. I don't think it could. Nobody ever could write like that or want. And that's the unique thing is, I don't think he should. Right. It's his. And that's yeah. you know, I think that's one of the things I've brought this up a lot about Tarantino recently because I think Tarantino completely inspired an entire generation of filmmakers and yet i don't think anyone who tries to speak like tarantino does can pull it off like i always yeah. feel like it's forced and this conversation yeah. came up because i saw a movie recently called low life that i really loved and it was very close to almost feeling like a tarantino movie but it was just different enough to me that i never once thought about it and it wasn't until someone said like this is this it, it looks like a Tarantino movie when they watched the trailer, yeah. and I was like, yeah, but I never felt like that. I never felt it. This guy had an original voice. Yeah. Well, um, is there a movie that you don't want, don't like? Is there a movie I don't like? Is there a movie that you just kind of like? Nah, I don't think so. Or can you? Yeah, you know, there's like, probably a hundred. I mean, there's thousands of movies that I just don't like, yeah. and I just don't think about them. Like, it just yeah. leaves my brain. Like, I remember when I was a kid, there is a movie called The Pest with John Leguizamo. Yes. And when I was a kid, I was a big Ace Ventura fan. I was a huge Jim yeah, Carrey fan. Yeah, it hit you guys at the right time. And The Pest came out, and I was just like, this is just a, this is like the poor man's Jim Carrey. Like, this is awful. And I hated it. I hated yeah. it. I would sit and mock that movie relentlessly. And now I kind of just like... Man, sure. kudos to John Leguizamo for going for it. Like he just yeah. went full Looney Tunes, and like <laughs> he, he didn't yeah, give, he, he didn't care at all. Like yeah. I like that. How many? Uh, how often do you? When you're so busy and stuff with kids and everything, how often do you go? Do you able to watch movies? Oh, in the theater, almost never. I have to yeah. make uh, it's like an event for me to go. Right. And the nice thing is, my son now is at the age where I can go to movies with him. He's six, and he likes going to movies, and I can kind of. Be, I could see it through fresh eyes, especially at like kids' movies. Like, we went and saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and oh, yeah. I was blown away. Like, I was yeah. seriously, like, he was, he, like, the kids in the theater, when the movie ended, they got up and started clapping. I was like, 
yes like why don't we clap in movies anymore like this is amazing I really was impressed with it I, I thought it was, so I thought everybody impressed. was just giving him outlets eh, it's a great animation because yeah. some people say it's a good animation and it's okay you know I, I, right. and I was like well they're, maybe they're overselling it because it's Spider-Man and everybody waiting for the next Spider-Man movie but I right. went and was like this is actually pretty impressive it's so impressive the animation's yeah. super great but I thought the story just was and like, that was my second favorite Nicolas Cage movie yeah right on <laughs> oh I, my wife and I and I like that they did jokes for a they did jokes for adults that yeah. weren't like when most of the time when they say they're doing a joke for adult it means it's like an innuendo or something sure. like that they did jokes for adults where there's no innuendo it's just like it's Nick Cage no kid is going to get that that's Nick Cage but every adult is just dying in the theater and going like <laughs> How yeah. the shit did they get Nick Cage to do this? Yeah, yeah I loved it. Uh, I heard he's, he loves comic books. He just yeah, he wanted to be Superman. There's that documentary about oh yes, yeah, how Kevin Smith wrote uh, the, he wrote like a Superman script for Nick Cage to play, or it, Nick Cage was like involved it, with playing that. And character. Tim Burton was going to do it, and Tim Burton was going to direct it. it yeah. I think the title of the documentary is "The Death of Superman Lives." The Death of Superman Lives. That's what it is. Yeah. It would have been a great movie. It would have been. Fun. It would have been weird. I don't know if it would have been great like it would have been super weird and i think i would have loved it i think people would have been like what is this? right there was so i'm saying it'd be so it'd be so way from christopher reeve yeah oh it would have been polarizing to the audience and then people are like no and but for everybody who likes tim burton understands him and how right. the superman suit was actually had lights and spectacle and all that stuff i, was like, I just rewatched batman returns this on christmas actually i watched batman oh, yeah. returns Oh my god, that movie's beautiful. I forgot how gorgeously Tim Burton put together shots back. I mean, he still does, but like when everything was basically practical, like that set is amazing. Oh, it's such a gorgeous. It was in studio, right? In studio a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. The whole thing is. It's crazy how like that set is so dynamic. And then that movie opens with a mom and dad throwing their baby in the river which is then raised by penguins what kind of messed up studio was like you know what just let sure. Tim Burton do it like who cares well I know you're a huge Nosferatu fan I am yeah so Christopher Walken's name in the movie I know yeah right exactly <laughs> and next Shrek well and it's also Pee Wee Herman plays the dad it's Paul Rubens as the dad at the beginning yeah. which is just I was a huge Pee Wee fan as a kid well and I think Tim Burton directed that didn't he yeah, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah, so that's why. Like, and just seeing Paul Rubens play the dad of of uh, Danny DeVito as Penguin, it's, dude, is awesome. <laughs> um, I don't know, but honestly, to answer the question, I if I don't like something as an as an adult, as a dad, as someone with almost no time because I work a full time job and I direct feature films on the side, right, yeah, I and do podcasts and whatever. If I start something and fifteen minutes in, I'm not into it. I will turn it off. Like, right. I, that, I guess that means I don't like it, but like, there's a movie on Netflix right now called Velvet Buzzsaw. You didn't get through it. People might love that. I mean, I know people have mixed reviews of it. His first movie, the dude's first movie, Nightcrawler, is like one of my favorite movies in the past. Oh, yeah. Like I, yeah. That 10 was, years. I did like Nightcrawler. It was actually the movie I watched the day, the night before I went on Rebel. I put on Nightcrawler for some... I was so stressed. I was like... I mean, obviously. I'm going on reality TV to make a feature film. I have right. no idea what I'm doing. And they 
they not on purpose but they put me in the most rundown motel you've ever been to in your life did they really it was and they did not know they did that it was a total accident and they were super apologetic about it so i don't want to like throw el rey network under the bus it was total accident but i was laying in set the tone for the whole i know right seriously and like i'm laying in bed that night and i just hear bottles being smashed outside my window and it just and then someone screams knock it off or they're gonna call the cops and then someone screams back the cops came last night they're not coming again (laughs) (laughs) i'm like oh my god so i'm like i need to watch something that's more stressful than the life i'm living right now right yeah nightcrawler nightcrawler Um, but velvet buzzsaw i got 15 minutes into it i just i was like this isn't for me i turned it off yeah well, it's, I think you have to give movies at least that amount of time to right. say, hey, come on, what are you doing? Right. Well, Josh, I have to say, we went over time limit. Oh, sorry. I always do I love I'm the king of going over time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Just don't do it in the movies, right? Right. <laughs> no, I like it. And that's the thing. I'm, uh, when I can edit myself, I'm good right. at it. I, can, I cut my movie down from um, 120 minutes to 85 minutes. Just because okay. I wanted to make it a tighter cut. So, yeah. you know, just cutting out minute here, minute there, little thing here, little thing there. I was able to make it a, a tighter film. And, yeah. My last question for you is, when you write, do you have an ending in mind first? Or you you go, you write oh, it to the ending? Good question. Um, with The Good Exorcist, we, I think I started with the beginning. Yeah. And then, well, so my writing process for a script is I lay out note cards. So I'll do 40 note cards and I will write down scenes first where I'm like, okay, so I'll do like a random scene where I'm like, okay, I know I want him to at some point kill a teddy bear and I want that to be a gory mess. Okay. Right. You just got to find out where you want to do in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, well, you like, if you're going to do a gory teddy bear sequence like that, it's like a fun scene, maybe halfway through. So I'll just put that card at that halfway point or, um, you know, I know that in the good exorcist, there's a third the the act break into the third act. I know what that is because yeah. Maria is involved with that. So how am I going to do that? And I'm like, okay, well, I know I want to have this tough chick character that is like a total badass. So we need to put that at the beginning of the third act. And then I sort of from there start to move stuff around. And then Daniel maybe throws out an idea. And I'm like, well, that would fit here. And stuff kind of moves around. I like that one. Um, with Grey Woods, I knew what the ending was. I knew the ending first. So nice. that one just, I well coincidentally it's not that anymore if the ending completely changed but like uh, the idea i wanted was at the end of the movie i wanted the dude that they were going into the woods to find a spider monster not a chupacabra and at the end i wanted the dude turned into like a spider monster with fake arms attached and he's hanging from the trees by his guts and stuff like that that was how the movie and that's like one of the last that's like the last shot of the movie his friend sees him like tied up to the tree like a spider okay all right i like it I'm, like, yeah. I'm sorry i wasn't always like I'm, I'm picturing this yeah. yeah that's not the way the movie ends. Ah, all right. spider has been well yeah you're gonna like where it goes instead trust me i don't okay. want to spoil it but the spot the spider thing is gone but i knew that's the shot i wanted because i knew how i could do it practically like i knew how i could light it i knew how i could do it for like 25 bucks so i had this idea um and a lot of times i'll just write things around what i know i can do the visual effects i know i have and whatever um so generally with writing i 
think I actually do have the ending first, or I know what it needs the what the the beat needs to be. Like with yeah. ten things you learn in the first year of being a dad. When I wrote that, I'm like, okay, it's going to be all these vulgar jokes, but the end is going to be you will love something more than you've ever loved anything in your life. So I knew that that heartfelt beat was going to be the last beat. And then yeah. I wrote like, okay, what gets us there? How can we mess with this dad to get him to the point where he has he has a heart and loves his kid a year later? Nice. So yeah, yeah so I usually I think I have the ending and then I kind of jump around. Nice. All it's right. also it's also like I don't I always write with Daniel or with my wife. I'm really bad at like I said keeping things to myself. So a lot of times I'm just like throwing things out to people. Like if I talk if I were to talk to you about an idea, I'd be like, "What do you think about this? What do you think about this?" And <laughs> yeah. things just kind of build themselves. Eventually, yeah. 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 Well, Josh, it's not over till the guest says it's over. Is that how that's my cue to say it's over? We're wrapping this up and it's over. <laughs> right.